Welcome to the SaturdayBlitz.com podcast. This is Kyle Kenson, and we got part two of our Red River Rivalry Week preview. This time we're taking a Longhorn perspective. Uh, yesterday we had Amanda Staver from RideSchoonerRide.com on talking a little bit from the Oklahoma point of view. Today we are talking with uh, Paul from BarkingCarnival.com. You know him as Scipio Tex if you're one of their regular view- uh, visitors as I am. And we're going to get a little bit of UT insight onto this great rivalry. Uh, see how the Longhorns are feeling off to a great start after last season having that disappointing finish. And we'll see how they stack up with OU. Uh, should be a great game. Should be an exciting game that should uh, shape the Big 12 title race. So going to get some insight from him. Looking forward to chatting a little bit more about that game. And thank you very much for listening to the SaturdayBlitz.com podcast. All right, and we've got Paul from BarkingCarnival.com. You know him as Scipio Tex there on the site, one of my daily reads uh, when I scour the blogosphere every day, and glad to have you on the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And we're talking Red River Rivalry, one of my favorite games every season. Love the atmosphere. Just You can, you can feel it coming through the television set, uh, that the... Cotton Bowl packed with half Longhorn, half Sooner fans. And this year with the big implications riding once again, we got used to every year this being almost like a national semifinal game. And last year with the Longhorns down a little bit. What's the buzz like with this team kind of coming back from that down season? Well, I think people are cautiously optimistic, uh, at least with respect to the long-term sort of setup of this program now. Uh, people were really in the doldrums last year. We uh, got very complacent. We had, you know, an, an older staff. We had a lot of guys who were sort of just, you know, had fallen into bad habits. They weren't game planning the way they used to, or if ever. Uh, and, and, and we really started to see what life would look like after Vince Young and Colt McCoy, with, you know, without a sort of spectacular quarterback with mobility who could bail us out on offense. We really saw, you know, what we became – uh, we also had a quarterback that didn't pan. We had tensions in the team. The defense and the offense, you know, had a lot of tension. The, the defensive coaches and offensive coaches had a lot of tension. So, you know, Mac Brown looked just feckless, and people, you know, were even starting to think maybe it was time for him to to round up his time in Austin. So in the offseason, he, he completely rehauled his staff, uh, brought in fresh faces, brought in a yacht, you know, the three core guys now on the staff are, are all under the age of 40 and uh, just brought in all these wonderkins from Boise State and Mississippi State and um, elevated some younger guys within the staff, within the program. And yeah, we're, we're completely rejuvenated, renewed. We've, we, we have a, a group of freshmen who are, you know, are arguably the best freshman class right now in college football. Uh, the downside of that is they're all freshmen. And so our best players at, at quarterback, wide receiver, and running back are all true freshmen. And, that, and that's not a very good thing for consistency week in and week out. So that's kind of where we are. I mean, I think people are 
viewing this more as a process and that this team will be really tough to deal with in 2012, 2013. But, you know, this year I think people are just viewing a, a good bowl as gravy and, and they're actually they'd be pleased with it. So, With the youth of that team then, does that sort of temper the expectations a little bit, especially with OU being a team that came into the season number one is still considered one of those three best teams in college football right now? Yeah, unfortunately we're still Texas fans. <laughs> so you go 4-0 and and people don't really care about the, the, the infrastructure underneath or how that was achieved or the fact that we're having to out-scheme people and actually out-coach people, which we haven't done in 10 years. And, uh, you know, so people actually now have the expectation. You're seeing some people that are wildly optimistic and, and going crazy and, and drinking the, the Kool-Aid. I, I do think the average fan, the, the average informed fan for Texas – basically goes into this game knowing we're the underdog and that we should be the underdog. And you know, the, the one thing that we do take from this rivalry is there are there's a legitimate history of upsets, and it has to do with just the emotions of the game. If, if things start to turn against you, it's almost like the Super Bowl, you know, when two really good teams will play and, and sometimes the game just turns into a route one direction or the other, or you, you'll see this weird mo- emotional momentum swing. Uh, everything's amplified and magnified in this game. So if you make a mistake, people can get completely lost in their own heads. And, and I've talked to former UT players who said they've played in the game and they can just remember sort of coming to in the second quarter. You know, they played an entire quarter and hadn't even realized, you know, they'd just been so zoned, you know, and just buzzing. You know, they, they all talk about they have this buzzing in their ears because of the adrenaline and the level of hitting steps up a notch. Everyone runs faster. It's just, you know, it's just a pure rivalry, pure hate game. And, and that's what makes it fun. But by the same token, the better team usually wins. And, and I think OU is the more balanced, better team overall this year. Now, what's interesting to me about this game is so few times you see genuine rivalries. I know there's like Iowa, Iowa State, but that's kind of a second-tier deal. Uh, genuine rivalry games like this with two national powerhouses. In the SEC, you see games like the Iron Bowl are played in late November. This game being early October every year after, you know, both teams have played some decent teams, but a lot of a lot of scrub games, a lot of just kind of getting the feel for things, teams like Rice and that sort of thing. How is having this game early in the season sort of a, a barometer, and do you feel like it can be a bit of a problem playing this game kind of early on as opposed to if it were the uh, November Thanksgiving weekend game? Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, I, I think because we've always played it in association with the State Fair and you associate it with October in Texas and the weather gets better and, you know, it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of your test to see where you were. You know, you, you play a few games to knock the rust off and, and now you sort of have a test. Are you for real or aren't you? And the, the game's a good barometer of that. Um, you know, I, I've always wondered what the TV ratings and, and stuff like that would be if we, you know, move this to later. But, you know, it's, it's so closely associated with the state fair. Uh, and it's, it's just something that's such a tradition that people, people wouldn't move the game. And, and you know, and it can cut both ways. I mean, if, if, you, if you lose this game and you get too up in your head about it, it can ruin and wreck the whole middle part of your season. And, you know, Texas, to their credit, has done a pretty good job of even when the, they lose this game, they usually recover pretty quickly and, and get it together. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this, the game's a big deal. And, and, you know, one of the things that Texas fans are kind of known for is sort of an arrogant 
condescension to other programs <laughs> and, uh, you know, a sense of, oh, look, they're more excited to play us than we are to play them. Well, that's not the case with OU. I mean, that's, that's the one game of the year where Texas fans want it every bit as badly as OU fans. And we kind of lose our cool and our detached air and, and sense of superiority. I mean, we're just as insane as they are in the Cotton Bowl. And uh, that's what makes it fun. I mean, we, just, we don't like each other. I mean, the, the programs sort of have a, a macro-level respect, you mm-hmm. know, the notion that the other team plays big-time football. But, you know, we don't like each other. <laughs> and so it's not this sort of rivalry born of respect and mutual affection. I mean, you know, there's, there's fights and on Commerce Street the whole evening before. Um, you know, there's a lot of trash talking. And, you know, it's, it's just a contentious game with a, with a lot of resentment and bitterness. Now, in having this game at the same venue every year, the Cotton Bowl, pretty much mid, exact midpoint between Austin and Norman, and having that State Fair backdrop uh, obviously gives this such a pretty neat dynamic, I think, is missing in a lot of other games. Now, I know that there's talk that if the Cotton Bowl's gone at some point, or basically the allure of Jerry Jones' uh, Cowboy Stadium becomes too powerful that it could be moved, what sort of... Uh, impact would that have on this rivalry having that game moved to something that's a, a beautiful venue but in my opinion something that's a little soulless kind of lacks that tradition that's so associated with this game I, I think you nailed it it is I've been to Jerry World it's it's a stunning achievement it's like a piece of alien technology that you just discover you know <laughs> through a tunnel somewhere in Egypt uh, but it's it's a soulless antiseptic NFL environment and the Cotton Bowl is worn. It's, you know, a traditional bowl, which I actually like in a stadium. Uh, it's, it's uncomfortable bleachers. It's, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's really just about the game. And, and I think there's so few things like that anymore in college football that I think most Longhorn and Sooner fans want to keep it in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, in addition, it's, you know, it holds 92, 94,000. And I think for Jerry World, you, you run into some capacity issues uh, as well. So, yeah, I, I want the environment. I want them to stay there. I mean, it's really up to the city of Dallas and whether they continue to make the necessary changes and they want to c- keep contracting for this game. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're, I think we want to keep it there. And I think it's actually one area where our administration, which is very good at chasing dollars and maximizing revenue, I think they know that they'd have a little miniature revolt on their hands if they tried to move this um, while you know you could still hold the game at the Cotton Bowl. Now, obviously, environment and the hatred between these teams plays such a big part in it, but when we get down right to the nuts and bolts, uh, you mentioned earlier the coaching changes that have gone on at UT and the change of that dynamic. How do you think we're going to see this play in against this Oklahoma team, especially on offense? Uh, the Sooners really showing that they are, are one of the premier defensive teams in the country, playing a great game against Florida State recently. Uh, Ball State, obviously not the best opponent, but a team that was putting up big numbers coming in. How does this new look Texas offense deal with that Oklahoma defense? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the, the Oklahoma defense under Brent Venables took a step down. When they, you know, when, when they lost Mike Stoops uh, to, to Arizona. <laughs> Arizona, yeah. <laughs> uh, when, they, 
when they lost Mike Stoops, they they did actually take a step down, and and I think most Sooner fans aren't as confident in Brent Venables as they are they were with with the Stoops brothers running the show on defense. But you know he he is a solid defensive coordinator. They, I don't think he adjusts as adeptly as as, as Stoops did. Um, you know, although although that might be a surprise to Arizona fans to hear. <laughs> But, yeah, you know, I think the big deal is that we had an offensive coordinator who built up 13 years of tendency. And by the end, particularly when we lost quarterbacks with the ability to improvise, but even in 2009 when we had Colt McCoy, you could see OU dialing in on our game plans. And, you know, there was a stretch when we were getting blown out by OU and losing the game. I think we lost five in a row in the early 2000s where, you know, Texas players would talk about OU you know, defenders calling out the play before the snap. And, you know, it, it's, it's just something where all that tendency has been thrown away and all those coaches have to actually work. They have to work that week and, and actually scout Texas. And, you know, what Harson does, his genius, is he's able to run a lot of simple plays conceptually out of a lot of different formations and shows you a lot of different stuff. And he has discrete packages of players. So... He's able to do a lot of interesting stuff, and some people think it's crazy and gimmicky. I don't think it actually is. Um, but what he actually is able to do is because those same players rep those plays over and over and over, they go in and they feel completely comfortable throwing a flea flicker, flicker pass off of an end around. And it looks crazy on film, and it looks crazy during the game, but you know they're calling it for a reason. They're usually doing it to punish an overplay or a tendency. So... That's what he really brings to us is that element of unpredictability. There's a there's a method behind his madness. He's not just calling a play just to see what happens. And you know, that's that's kind of what happened to us. So that's that's the, the challenge for Venables and the OU defense. The challenge for us is all of our best playmakers are freshmen or sophomores. And that's not a good thing in general to have on your football team. You know, just because the the capacity for we may schematically beat OU but we may not be able to execute the play. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of the issue. But, yeah, I mean, OU's actually, I think, for the first time, concerned about a Texas offense, you know, unless you had Vince Young or, you know, Colt McCoy in 2008 when we decided to run essentially the spread against them. Every time we gave them a different look, we've given them a lot of trouble. But every time we've sort of dialed in the old offense, they've, they've dominated us. So I think Texas fans are looking forward to seeing what a new new offensive coordinator can do. Now, a few things you said that really struck me were unpredictability. You said uh, their closeouts switching up a little bit uh, in 08, going to a, a little bit of a spread. Last week against uh, Iowa State, we got to see both David Ash and Case McCoy play quarterback. Do you feel like maybe there's going to be a little bit of that usage of both guys to try to throw a little bit of a surprise look, force them to maybe game plan and be prepared for two distinct styles of quarterback? Yeah, so in fact, that, that's a great observation, and so Ash, Ash really blew the coaches away when he showed up as a true freshman. And they realized because of the Garrett Gilbert situation, you know, he essentially had a terrible 2010, but he was our only retur- you know, returning quarterback with experience, and he practiced fairly well. So the coaches thought, you know, how could we try to do a Garrett Gilbert reclamation project while at the same time spreading out our risk, not putting all our eggs in that basket. So they came up with the idea of using David Ash from the first game in a special package. And the idea was that he was going to be our quote-unquote running quarterback. Um, What that 
really was was an excuse to get him game time and game experience. And then at the same time, Case McCoy, who doesn't have a ton of great physical attributes necessarily, but he's really dialed in mentally, and he, he does have some he, – he can throw a nice ball, and he's accurate within you know, 20, 25 yards from the line of scrimmage. Um, they, they realized once Gilbert sort of explode, imploded on himself against BYU, they realized that we'd have to have a two-headed quarterback attack. So what we've done now is we're starting to integrate Ash into the regular offense. That's cutting into McCoy's sort of snaps or sense that he's the starter. Um, if you saw the UCLA game, McCoy probably had 80% of the snaps. Against Iowa State, he probably had about 50 55%. So... Yeah, I, I think the thought is that if you interpret that trend, Ash is the guy the coaches are making the long-term bet on. But Case McCoy is extremely useful in the short and medium term because he can attenuate risk. He's a sophomore. He's a smart guy. You're not putting all your eggs in a freshman's basket. And you, you know, and when you alternate the quarterbacks, they're able to talk to the other guy and sort of coach him in between series. And yeah, you know, I, I think that's proven helpful ultimately they're going to settle on one quarterback and i think some longhorn fans are starting to suspect that's going to be david ash so they do present different challenges to the defense but you know i think uh, they're sort of portraying ash as the running quarterback but i think in fact actually he may be the uh, a better passer as well in terms of his ability to you know throw it to the whole field but it's going to take time he's 18 years old mm. and no one really knows what he's capable of yeah, he's still a very young kid, and and the thing that struck me in the spring game, and still to a certain extent now, is he, you know, he looks like he's eighteen. I, when I was eighteen years old, before I started eating copious amounts of food and drinking beer, I was I was six four and about one hundred and eighty five pounds, and and he looks like he's about the same. Just like a real mean hit could do him some serious damage. Well, so Case McCoy actually is the skinny guy. Uh. Is that who you meant, or? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know. Case, yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so David Ash is like a big strapping guy. He's you know six three, two twenty. He looks like we're back. Um, Case, you're absolutely right. He's he's about six one. They list him at two hundred, but <laughs> I think if you look at him and eyeball him, I think you know that that's a, a fanciful listing. Um, and you know he's just he's not built that big you know he's got skinny wrists skinny ankles he doesn't have a big frame uh but you know he's got a he definitely has a knack for the quarterback position it's in his genetics he you know he has a high school coach dad he's he's a football nerd and he knows exactly what he's doing out there and uh the problem is you can hit a, a cliff in terms of performance when physical attributes on the field are off the charts and you know, when Texas has equivalent athletes across lined up, you can start to see some of those things, you know, equal out. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the reasons people see Ash as the long-term solution. But, you know, it doesn't always work out that the, the guy who looks like the prom king is the best quarterback. So <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Now, how is the situation different, or is it different from the uh, Applewhite-Sims uh, situation that you had about 10 years ago? You know, I think people try to make that parallel, and particularly they're trying to sort of categorize each quarterback as, you know, Case McCoy's Applewhite and Ash is Sims. And, you know, it's it's just such a – it's still a raw wound for most Texas fans, and they mm -hmm. can't even talk about it logically. 
But I would say that Sims and Applewhite were pretty comparable talents. Mm-hmm. And also, Applewhite lost his job in part because he blew out his knee. Sure. So, you know, that, that was a, a, a factor. Whereas I think with Ash and McCoy, you know, these are two guys where neither one has laid any claim to the quarterback position. You know, Applewhite was the incumbent. Sims was the guy coming in trying to overthrow him. You know, neither guy has laid claim to this quarterback position. So they're essentially dueling it out. It's, it's a much more traditional sort of quarterback battle. And I think most Texas fans, I mean, you already are seeing some idiots start to dot, you know, divide up into firm camps. But for the most part, they're not. And I think most UT fans just want to start the best guy. So I, I think it's not going to be a contentious thing, I don't think, ultimately. Now, last year, the quarterback situation was, was one of the issues. And another was the run game defense. Uh, this season, obviously, showing huge improvement on that side. And Oklahoma still kind of feeling its way out at, at running back, obviously, with that spread offense, Landry Jones, Ryan Broyles. Everybody knows what they can do with the pass. But how are you expecting them to, to attack and maybe try to limit what Oklahoma is able to do on the rush? And, and have you seen a pretty tangible uh, improvement there on that side of the ball? Yeah, you know, I, I actually think it's, it's a, a, just a weakness in part because of personnel, but also it's just tough to stop everything in college football now. Mm-hmm. I mean, the days of truly dominating defense, I, I think it has to be redefined. I mean, I was watching the LSU-West Virginia game, and I thought LSU defended very well. Yeah, and, and they gave up 500 yards. That was a Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they gave up 500 yards, which is, you know, a, an incredible embarrassment just 10 years ago in college football. But, right. you know, they, they turned West Virginia over. They scored themselves. They held them to 21 points. You know, all in all, it was a pretty good performance by a, a very talented defense. So I think people are having to redefine what dominating defense is, and particularly Texas fans, particularly older ones. They remember Texas games of yore, which we would win 14-3. to And, you know, we'd hold the other team to 180 yards of offense. And that's just that just can't happen anymore. So, yeah, I mean, we're actually not that great against the run, necessarily. We're not bad. We're not particularly good. Uh, Where we have really excelled is shutting down the passing game. Um, Unfortunately, we haven't seen receivers or quarterback Landry Jones yet. So we'll see if that holds. But, yeah, I don't don't actually think OU is going to run the ball that well against us. And that's going to be an interesting thing uh, for me to watch because, like you said, they, uh, UT has been able to to limit the pass quite a bit. And uh, obviously, not trying to make the comparison here, but in Rice you do uh, you do get to see a little bit of a spread offense. So there is that uh, familiarity at the very least. Yeah, and I would say if there's one tangible element that's different, that one of the few factors that I think does play in our favor coming in just from a conventional analysis standpoint is – We've had our defensive ends really concerned with containment in the first four games because we faced mobile quarterbacks. And Landry Jones is not a mobile quarterback. Mm-hmm. So I think this will be the first game where we actually really cut loose as a pass rush. And you know, I think we understand you know, Manny Diaz, one of the things some of the Texas fans really like about him, one of the things I really like about him, is he's actually one of the few coaches who's a big stat head. And I don't just mean you know, looking at the box score, he understands advanced statistics, advanced metrics. He understands probability theory. And, and he understands that when Landry Jones is comfortable in the pocket, his performance level isn't good. It's spectacular. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's an upper echelon NFL quarterback when he has a clean pocket. When he has to move and, and throw on the run and you introduce some hits and some pressure, 
he really degrades in performance. And, and all quarterbacks degrade in performance in that situation, but he falls off a cliff. So, you know, we're going to, I think we're going to tell our guys to cut loose, not worry about Landry Jones scrambling or trying, you know, if he runs for six yards, God bless him. He's not going to beat us running the ball. So, you know, we may have the first game where we actually are able to tell our defensive line to just cut loose and get after it. Did Florida State maybe set a little bit of a blueprint? Because that felt like a game where it was more the Oklahoma defense that won it as opposed to the offense with uh, FSU's defense keeping it close most of the way. I, I totally agree. I, I think if there's a blueprint for beating OU, it, it was what the Florida State defense did. Now, the difference, though, is that Oklahoma doesn't run up-tempo when they're on the road. Mm. In the Cotton Bowl and at home, they run their up-tempo offense. They'll no huddle. I mean, they're trying to get in 85 plays. Whereas against Florida State, they huddled, they took time at the line of scrimmage, they ran the standard offense. So, you know, that, that is where Oklahoma really can throw you off kilter is that no huddle starts to take on a momentum and you can't get your defensive calls changed. You can't substitute. Your guys start to get tired. They start to panic. They don't line up right. Um, you have all these things happen, and that's what happened to us last year in the first quarter. We had guys that were, you know, at the snap of the ball, they were turned sideways looking at the coaches trying to get a call. And, uh, you know, hopefully Manny Diaz has a plan for that because, you know, if that happens again, this, the game could actually get ugly and out of hand pretty quickly. All right, and that brings me to what are you expecting overall? What's your prediction for this game, uh, final score, and what do you see this as being the uh, launching point to for the rest of the way for both of these teams? Uh, so, I, you know, Texas, even if we win this game, we're not a legitimate national championship contender. So even though we'll rocket up the polls and people will get all excited, we just, we're just too young. That said, it would be an incredible endorsement of this new coaching um, you know, regime. And I think it would set us up as, you know, certainly a team to keep your eye on. Um, if, if, if we're beating, you know, the number three to number one team, depending on the poll you look at, with a bunch of freshmen starting, then that bodes pretty well for the future. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, as far as the score, I mean, the safe pick is OU. I saw the line of the game was ten and a half. And I, I think that's aggressive. I mean, that's I understand that there's – I would say in handicapping the game, there's no likelihood we blow them out. There's some likelihood they blow us out. And then I think the middle of the bell curve is, you know, OU wins 27-21. So that's kind of where I, I put my prediction. Uh, but, yeah, if Texas won, I mean, that would surprise me. Obviously, I'd be happy. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm kind of in, in it for the long haul for this team. As far as OU goes, if they win this game, you know, they've got a very favorable schedule until they go to Oklahoma State in Stillwater. So, you know, Oklahoma has a very good chance of being undefeated. The SEC teams all have a good chance of putting one loss on each other at some point. You know, Wisconsin seems to have a very easy road potentially yeah. in the Big Ten. And Clemson, unless they pull a typical Clemson act, actually seems to have a pretty easy road in the ACC. So, yeah, you could have a huge BCS controversy at the end of the season, uh, which would actually be a good thing if we want to kill the BCS at any point. So, but yeah, so those are the longer-term implications for both teams. I think any Texas fan that puts all their eggs in this basket for this game result, I think that's short-sighted. I think the, the best games for this, the best football for this team is, is in front of it. So, 
know, I, I think you just want to see a good performance. You want to see guys play hard. Yeah, if we pull out a win, it's a huge deal. But I, I don't think it makes us true national championship contenders. Well, it's going to be exciting to get uh, that insight onto the future of this program, being able to see it against a, a top three team. And, and for Oklahoma, getting to see a, another test for them. Uh, Florida State, obviously, a, a stiff opponent for them. But uh, been able to roll a little bit in other games. And obviously, this is one of the great games every year. So definitely looking forward to it. And I want to thank you once again for coming on the podcast. And where can everybody uh, check you out? Yeah, just go to BarkingCarnival.com. Uh, you'll see our celebration or lamentations on Saturday, I'm sure. Excellent. And uh, are you on Twitter? We are on Twitter, Barking Carnival. Uh, just straight name. I, I am not on Twitter. The business <laughs> is on Twitter. And this is a source of great agitation to uh, everybody on the blog. They want me on Twitter. But uh, I, I feel like I'd get sidetracked and spend hours just you know, tweeting all day. I can absolutely attest to that. It happens. <laughs> Well, thank you again for coming on, and uh, be sure to check out Paul's Scipio Techs at BarkingCarnival.com. Like I said, one of my daily stops on the blogosphere. And enjoy the Red River rivalry. Looking forward to a great game. And, Paul, once again, I want to thank you for coming on. Hey, Kyle, thank you. I appreciate it. Really appreciate it.